The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Robots Radio presents The Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Welcome to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, a place where the Elder Scrolls community can come together to discuss the boundaries of our knowledge about the universe of the Elder Scrolls. All right, adventurers, welcome back to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I am here, as usual, with my co-host, Lotus of Doom. Lotus, how's it going? Uh, things are going well. It's uh, been a pretty interesting experience getting this whole thing started this week. I see that I brought the magic of Tales Dumpster <laughs> Fires with me wherever I go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bringing yep. that along for the ride. Uh, if you are not in the live stream, you will not have uh, n- the knowledge, because you'll be listening to this with your ear holes and not watching live with your eye holes, that this is our fourth attempt at getting the stream to actually work while we record this. And you will have missed out on our wonderful conversation about being regular on the toilet, <laughs> which we will not we will not be going back to. But um, this episode, let's just get right to it, Lotus. This episode, we are talking about Ebon Arm who many of our listeners may not have even heard of because Ebon Arm is such a rare uh, god entity name to show up in the lore, at least at this point. For sure, for sure. It's almost like he's drifting away as the series carries on, being phased out. So Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to that. We're going to go into a little bit of a discussion of where Ebon Arm came from, uh, some details and things about Ebon Arm, and then what seems to be the most recent phasing out of Ebon Arm and how that seems to be working. But before we get into all of those details, uh, I wanted us to start out with some defining, some defining of the differences between video game lore and real world mythology because one of the things in in researching this and it's it's i think this is one of those ideas that's been like sitting in the back of my head for a long time is that i've realized that there's a way that sometimes people treat video game lore that i don't always line up with and i think it's because they're treating it like it's real world mythology and In a sense, it is. It's very similar to real world mythologies, but there's a fundamental difference in the way that it's created. Um, So let's let's define it like this. This is the way I want us to define this kind of moving on real world mythology with real world myths. The further back you get in the timeline to the creation of that myth, the earlier the documents are, the closer you are to the original story, the original writing down of that myth the closer you get to the the foundation of it the true spirit of it the the nature of the people who wrote it what it actually re- represented to them you get to this kind of true core more or less 
But when it comes to video game lore, it doesn't work like that. Just because you can get to what the original creators of the game, say 25 years ago, thought about that character doesn't mean that that is necessarily more accurate or less accurate than what some of the creators are doing now with that character, with that story, and those kinds of things. Um, when it comes to video games, lore is continually evolving. It is something that is is a lived-in thing and continues to be refined and evolved over time. It's not like it, it's not like the truth of the stories that we're playing were all hidden away in some cache somewhere under somebody's bed, and we all like like there's a holy book of like right. the Elder Scrolls that we all have to go back and reference, and anything <laughs> that doesn't line up with that is is right out. It, it doesn't work that way. So that's that's kind of my perspective. What do you think, Lotus? Yeah, I, I, you're you're. I, I definitely share that thought. Where um, it seems like the longer I in in Elder Scrolls has a couple unique things to it, where it's an incredibly long running series at this point. So the IP has a lot of depth to it, but it's also had a lot of behind the scenes turnover from where the original creators started this. Um, and last, last episode, we actually kind of joked about some of the things where they're just simply not where they started. The spelling of simple areas, uh, the name mm -hmm. of areas, some of the creatures that I encountered are just not in the series anymore, or they've been modified yeah. um, for better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. It's not always but, good and it's not always bad. It's yeah, just but in many it's cases, different. It's for for the better because they were starting with a story that was pulling from so many other stories from other yes. video games, other literature. Right. And over time has differentiated, differentiated themselves into their own thing with their yes. own philosophies and meanings and characters and all of that. And it's it's a shift in writing fiction. I mean, this is fiction. It, it's it's these are these are based on either real things because there's a lot there's a lot of parallels to real life from the games but overall this is a story world that is you know still being crafted as long as the series is not dormant it's it's still evolving it's still changing and one of the big things with well there's two big things that i always make a note of with elder scrolls in general is their reliance on the unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. which is great because that does parallel real world where very rarely do yes. you get absolute truths. It's yeah. always somebody's if, if interpretation. Yes. Um, right. Which is very cool because history is usually written by the victor. And yeah. since Elder or Scrolls the, or is all, just the people who happen to survive. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you get is. Yeah. Uh, this is not really our specific topic for the time, but like Morrowind has a lot of that where you have the tribunal's truth mm -hmm. and then you have mm -hmm. the Ashlander tribes and stuff who it's like, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a very different truth. So yeah. And imagine if the Dwemer had survived, that would be mm -hmm. another very different truth because their yeah. society was built on a completely different philosophy. So there's that. And then um, the other side thing to um the elder scrolls is the concept of some of the uh more spiritual slash 
the biggest one that is the easiest to reference in regards to this is the concept of something like a dragon break where they can basically mm-hmm. bend things to right. f- fix their own inconsistencies, which we'll probably get into at some point um it went with i mean you've touched on dragon braids throughout previous episodes but sure but I it, mean, it is a very is a much more deeper more interesting topic that we definitely yeah have to dig into in the future for so sure. one big thing it, it, with with just that is like a lot of that uh and i tend to agree with it is the concept of dragon breaks was really was really to figure out how do you end the Elder Scrolls to Daggerfall and continue right. the series. Right. How do you end a game that has multiple endings? Exactly. And make it canon. It, it is a functional explanation yes. for a real world problem. Right. And they came up with a great MacGuffin to that situation where they're like, you know, you can break time <laughs> where it makes all parallel reality timelines both happen and not happen at the same time. And then we squish them back together and everything yeah. happens and doesn't happen at the same, you know, in, in the same instance. And it's like, okay, you can really take a lot of interpretations that way. And, and it's, sure. it's, it's, it's hard to pin down. That's why I love the stories of the elder scroll. But when people get too defensive over very specific, like, no, it happened mm-hmm. like this. It's like, mm, I don't know. In my game, maybe mm-hmm. it didn't like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe my dragon. And they could both. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and they yeah, could both make be, sense, but sure. But it yeah. could both be true. It, and yeah, it, it could would be still true and not true be at canon. the same time. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah and I, this is one of those things you learn in even studying real world myth and real world religion is that holding on to any one uh, philosophic philosophical view as having found the absolute truth is often wrong. You're more like you're yeah. an infinitely more likely to be wrong about that specific thing you're holding on to than you are about being right. And on top of that, you also stop looking. You often right. glom to that thing that you think is now the truth. And you stop looking for alternate solutions and answers. Uh, one of the things, this is something I shared on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of people were like, what? Um, if you don't regularly try to disprove the things that you think to be true, then you are not actually holding on to any truths because y- you haven't, you haven't vetted them. You're oh, just, okay. So you're just kind of just like, I accept this. No further I questions. This. I accept this because it feels right means I don't want to look into this anymore and find any more objective reasons why this could be false. Um, <laughs> Not to be sense. super controversial, but like that, like the concept of being like agnostic where it's like, eh, there's something, but I don't really want to think about it. Yeah. Well, and some, well, yeah, we can get into this too. Some, <laughs> some agnostics would say it's a maybe, and I just don't want to think about it. The flip side would be the agnostics who say I've studied everything and I can't, I don't have which, a definitive answer. I can't figure out which thing actually has more weight than another. Yep. You know, like you could go, you could be the extremely educated agnostic or the extremely lazy agnostic. They <laughs> both exist, right? Um, right. So, you could go any direction in any of these things, but th- let's bring it back to Elder Scrolls because uh, I'm sure some more of this will come up in our discussion about Ebonarm. So let's move on to that. This is where you get off. Come with me. So Ebonarm, Ebonarm started in the very early parts of the of the game development right we we know most of of ebonarm's lore from daggerfall and 
Um, I'm going to be referencing, or we are going to be referencing, some of the uh, things that were noted in the USP article about this, but then also referencing the original documents and as as they note things here. So originally, Ebonarm was initially viewed as a Nord by the developers racially and was seen as a minor deity or hero saint of the Iliac Bay. Ebonarm is one of several of Daggerfall's uh, beta testers alter egos, in this case that of Raymond Witt Crawley who wrote The Ebonarm which is a book written by Witten Roll in Daggerfall. So, and, and this isn't something that's unheard of, right? Lotus, we, we know that many of the developers' names actually show up as characters or gods in the series. Yes, and I mean, the most recent which I, you know, again it's all interpretation with this series, but uh, there was Colgier the Lore Seeker in the newest expansion to ESO, which mm-hmm. you'll be hard pressed to make me think that that isn't a nod to Jibs and Cash, the Lore Seeker, having their names combined with right. the title of Lore Seeker. It, it's like that's that's what mm-hmm. that is. So it's like it, they have those little nods. There's a predisposition to doing that in the series, so it makes total sense that way back at the start this found its roots in the foundation of how they were writing it. Yeah. There's a uh, side note. There's a, uh, a nod, I believe I I'm going to speculate that it's, there's a nod to me in, oh, in Fallout. Yeah. Yeah. in Fallout 76. Yeah. It's like robots, robot or something like that. Yes. Um, robots, yeah. robot. Yep. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Fallout 76, which is kind of cool, but it's, it's neat. It just shows that this is again, an evolute, an evolving thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the story, The Ebon Arm, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's, it's fairly long. Yeah, but it's a it decent sized book. It's a decent sized book, but it's 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 a fairly general kind of uh, these two armies were at battle and the sun was red and then this bright golden horse shows up and then the god of war, as he's defined in this, arrives and With- they... <laughs> His Sorry? horse is named Warmaster as well. Like there's War a lot Master. of war. <laughs> right, right. Um, his name is Raymond Ebonarm. And I mean, there's, I'll just read a passage from this. The leaders of both armies approach Raymond Ebonarm and Neil. In turn, they tell their reasons for this war. Each asks for the favor of the Black Knight for their cause. Raymond Ebonarm listens, but there is no acknowledgement that he has chosen to favor one side or the other in this fight. You know, it's, it's this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is cool, but, you know, we have very early on a god of war, which isn't really the way that the Pantheon seem to work. No, it, this is this definitely seems more of a original. Um, the, the fantasy tropes that the series originally started in where it had mm. it was not super unique to be fair (laughs) and a lot of elder scrolls found its basis as the series went on and became very different and very unique but where it started was a lot of here is fantasy trope this here is fantasy trope that and it evolved into more later on down the line as the series progressed right right and so that's that's very much how i read this i see this as a kind of a, a very simple first attempt at like Here's here's a story of the God of War. And of course, these armies would recognize him. And this is what happens on battlefields when he shows up, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but 
you can tell that we haven't we haven't taken this into the future. Like we don't have Ebon Arm showing up during the conflicts in uh, ESO in Cyrodiil. Yeah, you know, like that's this isn't happening. Yeah, he is not a trial boss or anything. <laughs> right, right. Now he does. There was an attempt to bring him into ESO that didn't happen, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read some of just the summary from the UESP because they do a good job kind of dividing it up into the most important points that we should be covering. Um, so it says here, uh, Raymond Ebonarm, also called Ebonarm or the Black Knight from that passage, is the god of war and the companion and protector of all warriors. He is said to ride a golden stallion named Warmaster and is accompanied by a pair of huge ravens. Ebonarm's name refers to the ebony sword fused to his right arm, a result of the wounds he suffered in titanic battles of the past. See, also very vague. It doesn't, it's not even <laughs> yeah. like during the Merithic era when the whatever, it's just titanic right. battles of the past. These things the happen. The titanic era. <laughs> right, yeah, whatever that was. Uh, when when the world was called arena. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a callback to the last episode if you didn't listen to it. Um, and he has never seen without a full suit of ebony armor. He sound, <laughs> That makes him sound like he's like a Dark Souls boss or something, right? Right. Uh, he is described as bearded, tall, and muscular, and as having flowing reddish blonde hair and steel blue eyes, which could be which, very Nordish, right? Very Nordish. And I do find it interesting just um, that note of he has a pretty striking description besides the armor but is never seen outside the armor right um as right. somebody who in uh most of the series i really really like the design of ebony specifically the helmets it's my helmet of choice in elder scrolls online um you would not see any of that <laughs> through one of those helmets like right. yeah. you you would be completely well covered so it, it's interesting that Never seeing him outside his armor, there's such a striking description of him as well, since who would ever actually see it? So. Exactly. This, this, and I don't know if reeks is the right word, but reeks of <laughs> an author who is writing from an omnipotent viewpoint on a character rather than, you know, what the you character being described by characters in world. And, you know, the, like you talked about the, uh, um, uh, the what's it? Well, the is something narrator, the uh, unreliable narrator, unreliable narrator. Yeah. I, I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> words are hard, words are hard. Um, anyway, it goes on and says, emblazoned on his ebony tower shield is the symbol of a red rose, okay, a flower known for blooming on battlefields where he appears. According to legend, he appears on the field of battle to reconcile opposing sides and prevent bloodshed. So he's both the king of war and the king of peace. At the, yeah. Like the god of war and the god of peace. Okay. Um, in the tale of King Edward, Ebonarm was the one who gave the mortal Psy the gift of immortality when he died in battle in return for taking on the role of the god of luck. Again, god of luck, right? What is, does that even really fit into the mythology at this point? Psy <laughs> did Ebonarm's bidding for many years, but when he fell in with a woman named Josia... He became lax in his duty. A host of gods visited him. Gods, not Adra or Daedra, right? Nope, just gods. <laughs> just gods. Ebonarm taking the form of a black knight and demanding he leave his family. Ebonarm demanded he fix the problems that he had caused, staying in one area for too long, which took Sai 150 years to do. Again, this is another reference to a book that shows up in Daggerfall and who knows? I mean, it, it, it doesn't really match anything else moving forward in the series. Yeah, it's it's vague history about a god who we don't have a lot of uh, ties to in the new series. 
Right. Now, it could have taken this as a, as a starting point and kind of developed it more, but the series just didn't. This yep. is not something they did. Um, he is an enemy of all the Daedric princes except Sheogoreth and Jigalag, as well as the Temple of Stendar and the Cabal, a sub-faction of the Mages Guild. He is allied with none, although he does lead the Citadel of Ebonarm, consisting of mosques and a knightly order known as the Battle Lords. I believe this is all references to things that happen in Daggerfall. Uh, yes, and if I'm not mistaken, um, not the exact... I'll actually continue, continue on, I'll add uh, once we get to it. Okay. Uh, holy anvils dedicated to Ebonarm can be found throughout the Iliac Bay region, and most fighters guild guild halls in the Alakir Desert actually serve as mosques dedicated to him. That's what I wanted to... Re- yes, so that's one of the things that's worth referencing if you want to have an idea of... There's not a lot of references anymore to Ebonarm. We'll make a couple more current references to kind of the lost god Ebonarm here. But um, if you go to the Fighters Guild in the Alakir Desert, there are Ebony Warrior statues with no explanation. In ESO. Yeah, in ESO. So they haven't written him entirely out. They just haven't done much with him. But it's Mm -hmm. like... The one thing I do appreciate, even though people do get a bit hung up on inconsistencies in ESO, are they never ignore, I feel, the the history, no matter how far back it goes. Um, Because, I mean, I don't remember all of the temple, you know, all the fighters guild halls off the top of my head. But having ebony warrior statues specifically in the alakir desert that seems a little too coincidental (laughs) yeah that somebody wasn't looking at that fact and being like okay well we got to give a nod to him still existing so right and the other thing that happens in real world uh cultures is that gods and myths go in and out of fashion yeah, and sometimes and sometimes they take on a uh, kind of a subcultural um I don't know if uh, coloring. Yeah, so and I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but this idea that um and we'll get to it, the idea that maybe this was a Yakutan deity came over um be, evolved with the red guards and then stayed within their cultural memory could be an explanation for why this type of armor would be on display because it's tied to warfare and maybe sword singing and those kinds of things. But over time, things had changed. And maybe that understanding of that cultural deity was picked up by the Nords in some way during the Merithic era. And they invented this war hero type God. And it only took root in the culture for a very short period of time and then eventually disappeared. Right. And there's thoughts that, um, Ebonarm might be a manifestation manifestation of Hunding um, that would have very strong ties to the Yakuta and all, all the Red Guards. So, again, more reason that it's like maybe, I mean, he could be a manifestation of it since, you know, these deities really do exist and they tangibly interact with the world because of magic and all that stuff in in elder scrolls um so either he is a literal manifestation or his version that they're now encountering now that they've left yakuda and maybe are on tamriel is 
this version of you know what i mean like it mm-hmm. could be just a shifted form of a god that already does exist as well so right and there is uh definitely there, there is proof in the the lore that the way the worshipers believe often shapes and empowers the godly beings the yes. Daedra and the adra so if the worshipers themselves are to shift their beliefs over time and start worshiping a different god then certain gods can actually diminish and certain gods can become empowered mm-hmm. or even evolve and change that that is something that there is some evidence for so who knows any of these things could be actual legitimate ways of looking at this but again unreliable narrator who really knows yeah who knows yeah. So this uh, finishes up and says, um, uh, Dunmer often swear upon the soul of the Black Knight. That is a reference that comes up on occasion. Again, maybe it's just cultural memory. Um, but it, it would be weird, though, because the Dunmer being, you know, mer rather than Manish races. Right. Seem, seems a little odd. Usually the mer don't rely on Manish gods. Um, yeah, not 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 usually. <laughs> not usually. Seems a little weird. It might be a yeah. different Black Knight. Um, then at the bottom here says the Khajiit acknowledged an unnamed dark spirit born from Azura's Azura being it's the Khajiit version, uh, grief after the death of Fatime and Lorkaj. So Padme and Lorkhan that sometimes appears in songs as a black Panther, a warrior in ebony armor, armor or a hidden sword. And there's a passage from the lore book of the dark spirits here, which references a number of different gods and, and descriptions and things. And the one here actually starts out with uh, brackets and five question marks. So the name has been removed and it says a spirit of vengeance. It has no will of its own as it was born from Azura's grief after the de- death of Fatime and Lorkaj, none can summon this spirit save Azura, Boethia, and Mephala, the good, the, aren't they the Dunmary good, uh, Daedra? Uh, yes. I believe those three are. <laughs> they are. Yeah, uh, those, those are, are the three, three good ones. Yep, those uh, are three of the good ones. Uh, for only they know its true name. It sometimes appears in songs as a Black Panther, or a warrior in ebony armor, or as a hidden sword. This is the only reference that I've found that talks about the Kajidi perspective on this. And it doesn't even specifically say Ebonarm. It just has a similarity in the black and the ebony. So that's most of it. <laughs> that's, you know, we've got a few other details um, outside of the books. Um, we, uh, there are some other details here that I'll call out. Uh, all references to Ebonarm were removed. This is one of the things that we were talking about earlier uh, from the book. Uh, from the memory stone of Makala or Makella Lecky in the Elder Scrolls Online. So this brings some speculation that this was an intentional thing, that Ebonarm has been, they've been working it out. But the mentioning of Ebonarm in the book The Light and the Dark, which is also from Daggerfall, both of these originally were from Daggerfall, was featured in the staff of Hezadaki creation for the Skyrim special edition. So that was still included in that. So like we were noted earlier, it's not like they've gone through all of the books and all of the references and just kind of erased it all to say like, yeah, this isn't a character we really want to deal with anymore. And like Lotus has said, there are references in ESO that kind of point to this idea of Ebonarm having been a thing. Yeah. It's maybe still a thing. Right. It's, He's it's he's a god of references, not a god of direct like 
interaction worship. in the series yeah. or worship exactly yeah. which is which is kind of interesting because it seems like there's a lot they could do with him if they chose to but in the meantime he's just kind of like it's one of the things that i like about this series that the world is fleshed out and it feels real in direct contrast to us saying that it's like well this is a work of fiction but they do a great job of making it feel real and very specifically when you have gods like this where it's like they don't make there's not really a lot of direction given to him so it's like well is is it folklore is it is it is it real is it actually something you know totally different that we're not even noticing type of thing and mm -hmm. as long as they don't completely scrub it from the series it's it's a neat little almost like just myth within the series right that is it something more? Is there more to him or is he directly related to something else? Is he misnamed? Who knows? So, yeah, you know what, what we don't find a lot of in uh, game fiction and writing fiction are false gods that don't actually exist. Mm -hmm. You know, like usually if a culture has some sort of reference to a god, that, that god is actually very real to the culture and probably did something. And maybe it was the, you know, uh, the disguise of another god under a different name or something like, like there's usually some sort of explanation for like, well, this is their version of this god or or they only worship this god and he only shows up in this culture and doesn't show up over here, right? But we rarely get like, oh yeah, this group of people totally believed in gods that <laughs> never existed and did nothing and were completely powerless. And it was just total myth. Right, which is, it's interesting because it's something you can only get with this type of fiction because despite what um, beliefs people have in real life where intangible things like belief can be really hard to iron out with proof, mm -hmm. in The Elder Scrolls, when somebody's like, oh, I, I don't follow, you know, I don't follow Mayrun's Dagon. Well, okay, that doesn't remove the fact that Mayron's Dagon right. invaded Tamriel. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's a whole lot of sticking proof, especially <laughs> yeah. every time every time you you hear him like you know laughing at you or whatever. It, yeah. it, exactly. So it's like it's interesting to have these discrepancies in the world, but then at the same time, the gods and Daedric princes and all these higher powers interact with all the denizens of this world so it's like straight denial of too many things is kind of rough in this series because it's yeah. like well yeah i mean you don't want to bother the wrong one or they could just blast you or curse you or do something else the dunmer in theory exists literally because they pissed off azura which oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> like totally yeah yeah, uh, the, the one difference here is that the daedra because they are so active are almost hard to deny the aedra you could go generations mm -hmm. without actually interacting yep. in a tangible proof kind of way right with with the adra now every so often they pop up you know every so often you know sure. uh somebody gets turned into a giant dragon to fend off mayrun's dagon or <laughs> you know like yeah you know, something happens that really does prove that okay they're still there yeah exactly but outside like uh you know okay i can i can track a planet through the sky and that's we're, that's the Adra we're worshiping, or at least it represents the Adra, or it might be right. where they actually are. Who knows? Um, there's not a whole lot else there for the Adra. So let's uh, let's move on because there is one other thing here. Actually, there's two other things. Um, in the early 
designs of the Celestial Warrior. And, and I did an episode about the Celestials uh, a few weeks back. Um, and so this would have been probably in the design of ESO if we go back, what, eight, seven, eight, nine years ago? Yeah, I mean, it would need to be in pre-release form. So I would assume probably seven, eight years ago, at least, if not slightly yeah. before that, depending upon how far into development this actually was referenced. Right. So in a very, very early version of ESO, um, the concept art for the Celestial Warrior depicted the Celestial Warrior as Ebonarm. And they were playing with the idea of fusing those two things because the Celestials are kind of weird also. They're kind of this weird, are they really gods? Are they not? Are they empowered humans? We, we talked about that. Um, so that's it, it didn't become that way. Uh, the final character does have connections to the Yakuda and the Ansei, but it, it again, it's it's more vague. It's not like this is Ebon Arm showing up doing a thing in Tamriel. Right. So um, so let's talk about the Yakudin connection here. We do have a reference from Michael Kirkbride, who gets referenced a lot, especially when it comes to the stuff going on in Morrowind and those kinds of things all the way back from 1999 where he was answering questions about some of the lore questions people had and he was interviewed and um he says here uh Ebonarm, as i recall is a yakudin deity or group of deities that share the same designation legends say that he is or they are just another manifestation of the hunding the makeway god now this is a yakudin god many post apocalypse manifestations of the hunding have individualized like diagna and ebonar may be one or many of these he is or they are known to be adversaries of the daedric powers um i'm aware of the tremendous amounts of fan fiction devoted to ebonarm dreadlord and such i don't know what to say about these right now so <laughs> I, I can imagine back in the late 90s that there was a lot of fan art about like oh this is a black knight character oh he's probably a badass you yeah know, dread Dreadlord, all that kind of stuff. Um, especially with the way things were in the in the late nineties, with like you know, if you played Doom or Quake, you were like Satan Lord six six six, you know, uh, online and, and that kind of. Hey, thing. how'd you find like, my gamer tag? Yeah, right, uh. right, yeah. And everybody listened to Marilyn Manson. Um, so yeah, I could totally, I could totally believe that was a thing. Um, but yeah, so there's again just kind of speculation about like, well, this is kind of how I justified it. I'm Michael Kirkbride, you know, and I talk yeah. about a lot of these things, so everybody now references them. But that doesn't mean that it actually made into the game as that. And there's very little proof of that. Right. And that's deciding what you want to consider canon and what you want to consider non-canon, because these are, you know, this is referenced by one of the writers when he was still working there, but outside of the game itself. But then where do you draw parallels of like, okay, well, is that part of the game? Isn't that part of the game? It's almost like the creation of the stories in Elder Scrolls have their own mythology on whether they should be considered <laughs> mythology yes. in the own in its own series, which is pretty unique. Right, right. And I treat this like I do, um, you know, talking about Fallout or like the Fallout Bible or some of the non-canon games in the Fallout series. Um, these are ideas that get kicked around the you know creator's room. Mm -hmm. But until they actually make it into the game in a book or in a story that you actually play out, then we don't really know. Because until that happens, 
they're not solidified. They're not codified in something that you can actually interact with. And even if they are, over time, those things can be retconned. Right, and which you made okay. a reference to games that, um, you know, are removed. And it's sister series, not same series. But like my favorite my favorite reference would be uh, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel for the PlayStation 2 and for the Xbox. It's a uh, Diablo clone. Yes. That's just been straight removed from Fallout. Yeah canon yep. that game's great <laughs> right yeah they're great like, nope. in quotes it's, it's yeah. fun <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's, it's so like just because something's part of something for a while it's weird to say but we feel an ownership of these ip because we spend so many hours with them and we create our characters and we live our adventures in them you know depending upon how into these you get um so a lot of people will feel ownership of playing it as opposed to just passively reading or watching a story since you're engaging with it mm -hmm. but at the same time this is the story of those developing it so yeah although we interact with it we're just experiencing what they're giving to us so it's kind of weird to have that much involvement but at the same time not have that much control of the situation because it's not technically ours. So. Right. And, and like I noted earlier, oftentimes the things that we true to designate as true for our beliefs are the things that uh, connect with us on an emotional level mm -hmm. more than on a rational level. So if you've, if even if you've played all the games in the series, but like Morrowind was your favorite emotionally, then you are more likely to side with Morrowind lore explanations for things than then, ESO lore explanations for things, right? Because yep. you are emotionally more tied to that game. If you love ESO and you go back and play the other ones and you're like, yeah, they were fun, but man, I really love ESO. That's just been my jam for the last four years or whatever. Then that's where your emotions lie. Those are the things that you're going to lean more towards when you think about what is true and what isn't. Right. Um, but if you take a step back and you just look at them all as being even on the playing field and written and developed by different people at different times, then there really isn't any reason why one story is more true than any other story. They're all part of this narrative that continues to change. And I think that that's something that we as humans have a hard time dealing with. This idea that like we are not at the end of the story, that everything is not solid and things are not black and white. That it's okay to say, I don't know. We've got all these things. And if you look at it from this perspective, this, and if you look at it from this perspective, this, but I don't know. And that's fine. Right. That's totally and okay. To be fair, even if we do come to a solid conclusion, added history that comes down the pipeline later could then retroactively change what is accepted now. It's, Absolutely. That's yeah. part of the, the living world, so to speak, of the series uh, that's still active. Yep. Yeah. So... So, uh, Lotus, now that we've totally solved all the lore problems, and I'm sure clearly, online, clearly, clearly, <laughs> clearly all, that's what we just did clear as, as mud right now. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to the middle of the show, because we have uh, we've got some stuff to do in the middle of the show. And then we have um, some news. And I wanted to talk about some of the uh, some of the things that just got announced uh, for ESO. And we're going to move on to that. So here we go. Let's transition over. The skies are marked with numberless sparks each a fire and every one a sign. 
Hello. Hi. Do you like bad movies? Do you find yourself defending bad movies, saying things like, well, the soundtrack was okay, or the costumes were pretty fun? From the previous hosts of It's Not That Bad Podcast, we bring you Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast, from Simone LaRue and Chad Ekovitz. Every week, we review two movies that did not do well critically, but we say, hey, there are some nice things about them. Maybe Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Maybe they're all fools, and you should watch these movies regardless. We'll also talk about scenes that could have saved it, and we'll often refer to Simone's cats because they're amazing and adorable and we love them <laughs> and at the end of each review we will tell you whether we would watch this movie again or in what circumstances we would recommend you watch this movie so join us on July 9th for the first drop of our main episode and then two days later for our drop of our minisodes and on Robots Radio Podcast Network come see us on July 9th we love you so much already bye, bye. alright guys welcome to the middle of the show and first of all I have to thank our patrons every month for supporting the show and for being here thank you guys if you want to support the show then go check out patreon.com slash elder scrolls lorecast and you can sign up for ad free episodes or to join us at the end of the month all sorts of cool stuff um so go check that out also we are supported by all the shows on the robots radio network are supported by a list of um uh sponsors that's the word Including Loot Crate, who I just got all this awesome stuff from, uh, saved 15% using the link in the show notes and the code Robots Radio, which is what I did in order to save 15% on my own order. And um, we've got Gamefly, we have uh, Green Man Gaming, and NordVPN. And so if you look in the show notes, there are deals for each of those things. And uh, anything you get through any of those sponsors will help support the show and help us keep creating awesome content. So go check that out. Um, Lotus, last week, did I, I don't think I read out the recent reviews. That's something I do. I don't believe so. Every month. I may have forgotten to do that. So I'm pulling them up right now. We have three new ones that came in in the last month. And let's just knock these out real quick. We have Nitty Bell from the United States who writes, great podcast, five stars. Tom, the knowledge of lore you have is unbelievable. Well, it's all on a screen in front of me, so I do my (laughs) research, but thank you. Um, It is really interesting, and the way you tell the story is engaging. I'm impressed. Recently, I've been farming Glenumbra slash Daggerfall, and I'm wondering if you've researched harpies. They have human-like features, so it leads me to believe at one time they were a race that had been cursed. What's the deal with harpies? Why should I kill them? I feel so bad. (laughs) <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Keep up the research. Why should I kill them? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. Um, yeah, there are some uh, humanoid creatures in the world. And um, who knows? Maybe they have a story. I haven't looked into it, but that could be something we we tackle in a future episode. I yeah. think being that we're getting close to Halloween season, we need to dive back into some creepy monsters and things at some point because those are always fun. On the flip side, you should kill them because they are worth gold and experience. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Very functional. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Nitty Bell. I appreciate the uh, the review. And then we have Bioreactor Muffin, in parentheses, which is a weird combination of two different words from Canada who writes, <laughs> great podcast, period. Five stars. I just started playing TES again after years. Decided to listen to this podcast while playing. Very informative and immersive. Well, thank you, Bioreactor and or Muffin. Um, then we have Kitty Fairy from the United States who writes Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Five stars. Really enjoying this podcast. Tom's knowledge of both TES, TES lore and human religion slash philosophy is extensive. Super engaging and informative. Well, thank you, Kitty Fair. I really do appreciate that. And thank you to everybody who takes the time to leave a rating or a review on whatever podcatcher you use. It absolutely helps to let people know that this show is active 
because new reviews are coming in, but then also gives them a, a taste of what to what it's like before they even listen. So it really does help. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to the end of the show. Yes, yes, you're entirely brilliant. Conquering madness and all that. Blah, 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 blah. So, Lotus, we uh, today, was it today? We got some news that there is an upcoming announcement on the 19th for oh, yes. ESO and the rest of the year of the, uh, what was this? The year, it was Graymore, but it was the year uh, of... The Dark Heart of Skyrim. Dark Heart of Skyrim. So the the next expansion that's coming out do you have any speculation as to what what might exactly be revealed because I've, I've heard a little bit but what do you think? so i'm i'm not um so i had i i'm known for making completely outlandish off the wall claims just to see if they do them uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and i've been correct more than i have any right to be wow <laughs> usually yeah i was gonna say there's a very very outdated now um uh, discussion on dragons uh speaking of parts of lore that bend people out of shape was when the dragons returned and elsewhere mm-hmm. um i made a very strong case for the fact that the doofy red, red dragon from red guard would be returning and that was totally the guy and it turns out uh that's Nafalargus, uh or however you want to pronounce his name turns nice. out it actually was him <laughs> which that was based entirely on nothing, and it was just one of the only dragons I could come up with. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Um, and and um, it, yeah, again, it, it's not like I'm a prophet. I just throw darts at a wall, and I've been right a couple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, in this situation, I'm going to say that I was completely wrong because I was insisting that it somehow involved the College of Winterhold. Um, and spellcrafting, which does not look even remotely like it's the case, because it looks like we're going to Markarth, which is yes, pretty awesome. Because I like the Reach influence more than the vampire and werewolf thing that's kind of been a major part of the Dark Heart of Skyrim. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. was also based on the maps that were sent out at the beginning of the year and in the original dungeons, um, with uh rest no that was the previous one uh harrowstorm um mm-hmm. a strong reach influence in that yeah, that was my speculation if if we go yes. back to like january before we even went yep. to vegas right uh, which you and you and i both got to go to that's event. true that was a uh, yeah that was the there. first time we met yep spent <laughs> spent our own money flew on out uh yep. got into the event um got to hang out and do yeah. all sorts of fun crazy things of fun. in vegas uh what happens in vegas stays in vegas and um <laughs> We, we ate at a buffet. It wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah, we did. Phenomenal. Um, we, we, we were the, we were two of the only people who brought their wives. Um, yeah. Mainly it was my wife's idea that I even go. Um, Which is awesome. And, and yeah, we, we went to, uh, I think, what was it? The wind buffet. This is one hell of a tangent. Yeah. We went to yeah. the wind buffet yeah. for an all you could eat and uh, it was pretty good. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty good. good. I got ice cream twice because it's a buffet. <laughs> you got ice cream twice and I just kept taking crab legs. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah. Hey, when it stays in Vegas unless you bring it up now. And now yeah, which, that I had none of that just stayed in Vegas at all in one meal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> where was I going with? Oh, yes. Oh, so <laughs> one of the things I speculated, you can go back and listen to an episode I recorded probably back in January before we even went to that event, saw any of the reveal stuff at all. I speculated that we were going to get some story stuff about the Reachmen, which shows up a bit. The Reachmen are involved in the story of Greymore. But if we're getting more of that and we're getting Markarth, and 
I mean, who knows? Are we getting Dwemer stuff? Like, what what else is happening in Markarth? Do you have any speculation about this, Lotus? Um, no, and I'm going to give you a reason, which is probably going to throw you off a bit. Um, it's because I have not completed the Greymore chapter. Mm. Um, mm. Despite my uh, kind of completion tendencies, I don't RP. I don't really get big into um, a lot of a lot of that aspect of the game. I'm much more of the I like to listen to the stories and I like to smash my face into difficult content. Um, (laughs) But the one, I guess I always joke uh, that it's my form of RP. For some reason, I have this really strong fixation on based on what my general climate is, (laughs) I will play content related to that. So every year I tend to play Skyrim around fall and winter time because it's cold and mm-hmm, I'll be mm-hmm. in the rip. Well, when Graymore dropped, it was June. That's not yeah. Skyrim weather. Like, yeah, yeah. Outside my house, I'm like, oh, cool. I can play some Elder Scrolls online and then I need to go mow the lawn. And it is 97 degrees outside. Like nothing is giving me the snow vibes. So mm-hmm. I've been saving the chapter to play. Um basically as the weather shifts as weird as that may sound (laughs) um so unfortunately i i had the story pretty hard spoiled for me in zone chat which was rough oh i was was about to tell everybody not to spoil that the dwemer return yeah well so when their spaceship no that's not that's not what happens Uh, yeah somebody is listening to this episode i know just feverishly unsubscribed (laughs) and gave you one star no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you ruined it no that's not that's not yeah that's not even remotely the thing um no. <laughs> so based on just what i know from it being spoiled um not to mention i have played the dungeons because those stories aren't quite as um tied in dramatically to a long-standing story but that's i'm very curious to see what the other reach involvement is with the story and the constant threat of vampires and werewolves in the region, mm-hmm. because that to me is much more interesting than the vampires and werewolves themselves. Yeah. And the region yeah. and very much background story to that. Right. Yeah. I had a lot of speculation that the Reachmen were going to be attempting to claim uh, power in that part of Skyrim, which they kind of are in the story because they're, they're involved with the vampire stuff and the things going on in the background. Right. But maybe we'll get to a little bit more of the core of what's actually going on underneath it, underneath it all. Um, And I guess I shouldn't spoil it yet. I'm sure there are some people who haven't played through the storyline, but the things that we are left with are concluded and yet not concluded at the same time. So we are left with a, okay, now that this is happening, now that the leadership is focused on this and I won't say who that is and what's going on. What happens next, right? So I think it could be interesting. I hope we get some really cool Reach stuff. I think the Reachmen are really cool in Skyrim. I think, you know, like Briarhearts and the Hagravens and all of that stuff. I hope we get more of that, like, weird Reachmen magic-y things. Like, um, like the Wicker statues and stuff that show up in Greymoor. I hope, I, I want to delve into more and more of that. I think that would be amazing. The Vampires and Werewolf stuff, I love that stuff too. But if we could get into more of, like, the culture of these people and 
you know, like what if what if the city of Markarth is because it doesn't show up in the region that we're, we're the regions we've been in so far. What if right. it is actually run by the the Reachmen? Like what if that is like during this time in history a stronghold for them? What if it's not actually you know part of one of the holds anymore? Yeah, you know, like what if the end of the bo- the end boss is invincible. We lose, and then it summons the Longhouse Emperors. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could be all sorts of things, you know, like, yeah, we're just destined to lose. Yeah, that would be actually really interesting because that would certainly be I am not going to lie. That would probably catch most people off guard. It's like, yeah, no, we got to go into this portion of the story. So uh, (laughs) we're going to just lose. Yeah, but it it, it makes sense. Like it, it also would be interesting because it's a tonal shift of other things that have happened in the series and in every one of the expansions you play through the story and the good guys win. Yeah. And you help the good guys win. Um, what if we had a return of the or, uh, Empire Strikes Back scenario where like, crap, good guys didn't win. Like <laughs> we survived it. Barely. <laughs> like, yeah. What happens next? Um, that and could be amazing. The good guys only win for a set period of time, and who is considered the good guy is also mm-hmm. rather up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot around that. So, yeah, um, I'm interested to see where that goes. Uh, but we, I guess, we'll learn more on the 19th. There's a big event that's happening. They're going to be streaming live and revealing a bunch of information. So that's uh, as of this recording. That's nine days from now. As of most of you guys listening to that, that's probably about a week away. Um, so tune in for that and. Uh, that's about all the news that I wanted to cover today because that's the most exciting bit of what's going on in the world of ESO. Um, and on a personal note, I am trying to build out a PVP character. I'm, I'm going to be working on this. I think I'm going to take my Necro tank and turn it PVP. Does that seem smart? Seems very doable. I was going to say, if you, uh, I, I mean, depends on the type of PVP aspect you're going for, but I mean, that has, if, if you're going for a something tanking... Something I can solo. Something like solo, uh, jumping in battlegrounds, running through okay, Cyrodiil. If you were yeah. looking for like a uh, Cyrodiil Zerg type of thing, because it was like, I've got some some pretty decent builds that you could probably actually do slightly modified with uh, mm-hmm. debuffing the opposing groups, which your team will love you forever for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe we'll have to talk about that. Have, and what if you've been doing trials recently? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, I do kind of a swath of things because I am uh, very achievement focused in game. Um, my goal uh, currently for anybody who plays ESO is you're awarded achievement points for doing various things throughout the game. And I like to make sure that I've cleared all the hardest content that is in the game and then all the abstract little tidbits. But uh, for a gauge, if you ever look at your achievement score, uh, I'm closing in on having 40,000 of the potential 43,000 points in the entire game. Um, so that sounds like a little bit. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I hope to complete that by the end of uh, not not everything, but I would like to hit the 40,000 mark preferably before we get the fourth quarter dlc mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well good luck with that that sounds yeah. that sounds huge um <laughs> we talked a little bit during the pre-show you know what i need to start doing is releasing the full version of this with the pre-show for our patrons because i think then they'll get a kick out of our pre-show conversations but 
<laughs> we were talking about the PS5 and the new Xbox coming out and the new graphics cards from NVIDIA that were, and of course, you know, Bob Chichinsky's here in the chat with me, uh, with us, and uh, we're trying to get, trying to get Lotus come on over to PC with us, but he's got too much invested in. I know, look, this in is in Zoss's hands. Just let me pour it. Come on, you <laughs> let know, me pour you my, stuff over. my stuff over. I don't need any of the gear, any of the money. It's fine. Just, just the Chivos, just the Chivos and the characters. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Here's <laughs> us. If we're ever going to get him to join the PC Master Race, then we need to implement <laughs> that. I'm saying it we like I'm somehow involved in this. I don't know. That's fine. It's fine. We're we're all on PCs being masters or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. We're yeah. all masterful on our PC. Anyway. All right. Well, I think that I think that means this episode is done. So. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. And anything uh, you want to talk about? Anything cool going on you want to tell people about or how to get a hold of you? Um, no, nothing too exciting on my end that uh, at least I can remember off the top of my head. I will be planning Extra Life, uh, which is a charity that I do involved with a very large uh, gaming marathon, but I'll have more details on that uh, coming up soon. But yeah, if you ever need to get a hold of me, I'm Lotus of Doom on Twitter, Twitch, uh, Discords, and pretty much anywhere else that that name exists. That's probably me. That's probably you. Probably me, unless somebody or got to somebody something. selling yeah. pot. One yeah, <laughs> whatever. You know, it's, but whatever. Bill might be. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, and you guys know how to get a hold of me. All the links are in the show notes. And I think it says it at the end of the episode. And uh, I've been streaming. I've been trying to stream more often. I've been streaming during the days when I can. Um, so come join me. If you are able to come join us live, we are at twitch.tv slash robots radio in the evening, 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific on Thursday nights. And here in the U.S., where we both live. I don't know why I said it like that, because it sounds fancy, and it's definitely not these days. Um, <laughs> everything's on fire, including the the trees and our government, all at the same time. It's awesome. There's no part of it that isn't currently on fire. Yeah, we are all the dog in the room on fire saying, this is fine. It, I believe it's a Fallout reference uh, quote, but, you know, it, it's all one big Bethesda family. But um, I believe the reference was from uh, Fallout 4, where there are never not two things on fire at any one given time in Fallout. Yeah. Yeah. I think that now applies to us in general. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the state of the world at this point. Anyway, we won't dwell on that too long. But you guys know how to go hold me. Come, come hang out with me on stream and uh, check us out live and um, help me level my... My, actually, I don't have to level him. I just need to create my PvP character. So come hang out and we'll do that. All right, guys. Until next time, stay safe out there. And I guess wear a bunch of black armor. And don't be get, uh, don't get forgotten by time. <laughs> don't get forgotten by time. There you go. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks or Zenimax Studios, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please reach out to us at elderscrollslorecast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ESO Lorecast. If you'd like to help support the show, check out the rewards you can get at patreon.com slash elderscrollslorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon. And thanks to our patrons for support, especially our Tier 5 patrons, including Noodle Al Dente. 
listening to the Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Have you ever wanted to learn more about geography without sitting through a snoozy old lecture? Geography Arcade is a weekly podcast all about your favorite video games and their geographic lessons, inspirations, and even some minor analysis. Some may say analysis. Boo! Well, we're going to learn and have fun while we talk about Pokemon, Elder Scrolls, and much more. Come join the adventure at Geography Arcade on your favorite podcatcher and YouTube. Ahoy there, ye landlubbers. Avast, my name is Captain Logan, and I'll be your guide out on the Sea of Thieves. If you love the idea of stealing treasure, cutting down cursed skeletons, fighting off krakens, and raiding forts filled to the brim with shinies, then Sea of Thieves is the game for you. Join me each week as I dive into the news and bring back the nuggets of information that any sailor worth their weight in salt would desire. You don't have to be a pirate legend to gain access to my podcast. Just search for Keelhauled, a Sea of Thieves podcast in your podcast app of choice or head over to robotsradio.net or captainlogan.podbeam.com and get ready to set sail for adventure. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. <laughs> 